0: Hey Brett, how are hey, you? Hey George, how are you going? How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. You? Did I did I ever tell you that I used to have a a job at a calendar factory? What were you the staples? No, no, I got no, I wasn't the staples. But I, I actually got the sack because I took a couple of days off. <laughs>
1: Can you hear that silence, <laughs> listeners? I'm sure you're feeling the same way. I could hear a cricket in the background. But but I must say, that is a dad joke.
0: Well, welcome back. Welcome back, listeners, to the the, the world's worst dad jokes. Uh, and, and float your boat. And float your boat. So who do we have on today, mate?
1: Today we have uh, Peter Smith, or Pete Smith, I think he likes to.
0: Is know, he, he here to sell us some steak knives? He could be. He's not that Pete Smith. But
1: wait, there's more. There's more. It's not that Pete no, Smith, no, no. Pete, Pete Smith is a business, uh, I, I, from, from reading his bio, he, mm. he's a, he seems like a funny chap. He, um, What's his
0: claim to fame?
1: I think he's a, uh, basically a business coach, but he facilitates um, for people like the United Nations. He travels to far-flung places all over the world to, um, I'm just trying to read his bio at the same
0: time. Well, he's a facilitator for the UN. I mean, that's a major That's a major achievement, I would say. So let's... Uh and he
1: travels a lot. Um, yep. So he'll have some great stories for us. And yes. Maybe even a few funny stories. I think so. Reading his bio, he's got a bit of a cheeky sense of humour. So he might fit right in with you and I, George. I think so. He's, he's probably
0: empty on the inside like you.
1: Quite possibly.
0: And thinks he's funny, but isn't.
1: Uh, George, people laugh at me. Like you. After that calendar joke Seriously?
0: That was a good one, wasn't it? (laughs) Let's get him in. Okay. Yeah.
2: to the Float Your Boat podcast,
1: about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes, and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Hello, Pete. Welcome to the studio.
2: Thank we'll you. It's great to be pace. here.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, so Pete, we re- I read your bio. It was uh, quite amusing, actually. Oh, I just what... sat
2: down and punched that
1: out. Oh, that was fantastic, yeah. but... Um, what I want to know is where did this all start? But where did you where did you start? Like, I mean, I know we know we're going to get to where you got to. Yeah. But let's let's.
2: I reckon back. the thing, and I'm just connecting it to when you asked about my bio. The thing that came to mind was, my kid's sister and I uh, lived in a small town. We had a huge backyard, and, uh, and it had a you know a wood heap and a garden and a chuck shed and a chuck yard, big tree, clothesline, pool expansive areas. And uh, and I used to, and, you know, full credit to my kid sister for playing along, but I used to say, mission... And what we'd have to do is we'd have to jump out the bedroom window, climb down the side of the house, run around the back of the garage, climb up the side of the garage, run across, jump onto the mattresses that we'd set up there that kind of got moldy by those days, swing around the uh, um, the, the hill's hoist, float across the pool on a smurf break tube, climb over the wood, around the back of the chook cage, get on top of the chook cage, throw a few love a few bombs at the dogs next door, get through the garden and run down the side of the house, back under the house, up the front, and go back in the bedroom. We used to time it. So yeah, when you say where did I come from, I connected it to what I'd written in my but, bio. So
1: where was where was that? Where was this farm? <laughs>
2: this, now this was, this was like your quarter acre block in a small country town. This is uh, yeah. So Merribara, Central no. Victoria.
0: Wow. wow. What, what, yeah. what was your family doing there? I mean, a quarter-acre block, so in the town. Yeah,
2: in the town. That was the thing, you know, I small I often towns wonder what they, people
0: do in small country towns. Well, that's that
2: why I kind of told that story. We had to make our own fun. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Dad was a train driver. And, you know, back in those days, it was kind of like where the job was going, you went there. And there was a job going there. He, he originally come from fruit blocks up in Mildura, you know, the, the sort of after the uh, First World War. They settled a lot That's of the right. repatriated um, yeah. a lot of Greeks and Italians, um, repatriated them around that area. So his father had, you know, had, had a lot of um, blocks around that area, but he didn't want to go into that viticultural trade. Well,
0: fair enough. You look a yeah. bit Greek, possibly Italian. I mean,
2: still. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, so. Uh, I think was, thank you. So you look a bit. You look a bit Greek. Right? Any any um, any any, um, any people of. Uh, other persuasions in you your, know, uh, amongst your ancestors. but
1: uh, <laughs> well, pe- Pete Smith's pretty, <laughs>
0: he's pretty <yes>. white, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're <laughs> Not here selling steak knives. There
2: is some. Con- <laughs> God, that was me. Sorry, I classes right. um, right. There is some conjecture because um, Dad used to get called Afghan on the railways. They right. him Afghan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that was just because he had a lot of pigment in his skin. Hmm. Uh, but we have seen family um, photos that go through, you know, a couple of generations back, and there is some darker colour, perhaps some of the Indigenous Australian yep. in there. So, yep. uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that I have that connection yeah, with uh, First Nations.
1: So, uh, so grew up in Victor- country Victoria. Oh, country Victoria. Left yeah. school and what? Yeah.
2: Look, the thing back then was you get a trade behind you, small town. So, I left school and got a trade behind me as so a printing machinist. Running printing presses, you know, um, brochures, letterheads, business cards, those sorts and of things.
0: And who would have thought it would have gone the way of the dodo?
2: Oh, yeah. It's all like you just... You know, back then you had to assess the colour that you you wanted to print to meet the client's logo or whatever. Uh, you know, you adjust the plates, the water, all of the mechanisms in, in the printing press. Now that stuff is recorded and you just press a button and mm. the paper lines up, the image lines up and you're done. So the craft has gone out of that. Mm. That's right.
0: Did you enjoy that? No, Did I you... sucked
2: at it, hated it, couldn't wait to get out of it.
0: <laughs> so what we triple overtime. What were you thinking at the time when you were doing this job that you didn't like? What were you thinking? Oh
2: look <clears throat> I don't know if it was my generation or back then, it was that thing of get a trade behind you. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily enjoy school, so I didn't uh, kind of work towards going into uni because I'm like, well, I don't want to do more of that. Like, oh. yeah. and, I, and I wanted to make money. I wanted to get out and, you know, get a job. And that was kind of, you know, that the thing you did, as it were just get a trade behind you so, yeah. so so, it sucked didn't enjoy it did shift work just like my dad driving the trains I was you tried like, that? Uh, not driving trains he used oh. to take me on the front of the trains which right, was a lot okay. of fun um, but it, I've been like do I want to like keep doing this and when I think back to you know some of those original adventures that I had in my childhood it was always this thing of yeah no, nah, I'm not playing this game I'm, I'm living for adventure <laughs> like it was, once I kind of dawned on that I was like get me out of here
1: so that's where it started. the yeah. adventurous spirit
2: yeah. of, the, of your
1: youth and on the mouldy mattress, etc. Yeah. Around the house and over yeah. the clothesline.
2: Yeah, and you
1: thought, oh, when I become an adult, I might do that as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. why not? Like, yeah. yeah, like it made sense to me. But but you know, almost unconsciously, there I was stuck in a factory doing shift work. You know, I, I finished my trade like about eight ten months before the end of the time. I did that much overtime because it was, you know, that working class ethic that mm. you work hard, you do your time kind of thing. And
0: it's something, It's I mean, you obviously had an awareness at some point that you were just following a pattern that you'd seen. Yeah. And you weren't really, you were in <coughs> autopilot mode. You, yeah, weren't, yeah. you weren't actually making conscious decisions as to where you wanted to go with your, your life, right?
2: No, no, not at all.
0: So not at which at point all. did that come to you? Like, it, uh, did it come to you then when you were in the printing game or it came to you later?
2: It, it, look, it, 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 um, it, it was like it compressed for the whole sort of three and a bit years of, like, just not having fun, not enjoying it. And, you know, I did on the weekends, but it was kind of like went to extremities. I just went out and partied a weekend, as you do at that age. And then we'd just come back and put in the work. But it's like, wait a minute, uh, where's the time, freedom, for all these other things that I had dreams about when I was younger? And I couldn't see that opening. I could in 15, 20 years Mm. when, you know, know, I might have bought a house and might have saved some money. It's like, well, I want it now. And so I was working that overtime to get, because, you know, it was always get a trade behind you. Yep. So do whatever it takes, get that trade behind you. And then the day I got my papers, I was out of there. I went to summer camp in America. <laughs> Done. Yep. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so you got your ticket and then now it's worthless anyway. So lucky you didn't keep
2: stolen printing, really. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah. All that hard that work. A, that was a useful trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: really, it worked that one. Uh, you know, there's something about, um, what we do in our earlier life that sets us up in a way that we wouldn't have imagined, wouldn't have thought of. Yes. And just putting in that hard work taught me work ethic. Yes. You know, if you want to get something, you've got to bloody work for it. There's no kind of shortcuts in this.
1: And that world. never changes. That's a constant in life. In- you yeah. You know, I wonder about kids these days. No, oh, you're yeah. starting to sound very old. Mm. I am, but I've noticed lately, you and I have both noticed lately, that, you know, there's a different mindset now because it's, you know, it's not our our parents' generation came from the Depression or from the Second World War mm. and,
2: mm.
1: you know, they had a different mindset, which was sort of instilled in us, really, I think.
2: But I wonder what differences there are you know, for the next generation, given that that was the mindset that created, I'm going to assume you guys are around my age, yeah, then we are indeed. what's their mindset going to create? Because, you know, we created the industrial age and everything like Help helped me out here in my yeah. historical reference points. Yeah. Um, you know, we brought about a lot of changes in the world. And I guess okay. I just have to look at all the technology out there now to think that's going to be exponential because their mindset's different.
0: Mm. Well, they're unshackled. Unshackled. They're not as shackled as we were. Mm. I I remember, I mean, your parents sound the same as as mine. You know, get a job, work hard, get a job, you know, buy your house, work 30 years to pay off your mortgage, and then you'll be set. And then retire and die. That's
1: it. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Gold what? (laughs) Or or bicker with your partner. Yeah, done that. That's right. And I and,
0: and I and I had this yearning to get away from that. Like I wanted to travel, I wanted to, I had this wanderlust. It sounds like you had the same thing, right? So tell us yeah. about what you did
2: <laughs>
0: from that time as an as a apprentice printer.
2: Yeah, look, it, it was a case of literally stumbling across it and, you know, it's, it's sort of like a cliche if it was a movie, this would be part of that kind of... Uh, progressive uh, amalgam of things to a groovy soundtrack sort of thing is that i i looked in the paper and and it said camp america wants you and i'm like what what, oh, I what is this because I, all i remember was from the brady bunch they went on summer camp i'm like that looks so awesome and there was this ad saying you can do that i didn't say the brady bunch or anything. i'm like i'm so there but of course i had zero Skill or experience for that? I was a printer by trade, and I don't want printers on something here. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going. I'm just like, I'm making this happen. So I was, you know, in a small town. So I just went out and said, Can I babysit your kids? Can I coach your team? Can I? I did anything. You know, got a first aid certificate. You know, threw kids in the pool, so I had to rescue them. Just did whatever it took to get the quals, because it was like a uh, applications closed in three months' time. So I just went out there and did whatever it took. Put this awesome application, got all these reference together, sent it off, and I got chosen for one of the you know richest camps in America. It was nuts. Really? So, really,
0: which yeah. which uh, which camp Blue Star, in Hendersonville,
2: North Carolina, right, right on the side of the the Blue Ridge Mountains. So it's just really lovely. Yeah.
0: So it was the most prestigious one.
2: Uh, it was, uh, it was a, a rich Jewish camp. So well-to-do. And I mean, visitors' weekends, Mercs and Porsches and Beamers and <clears throat> even private planes would be pulling into Asheville Airport to come and get their kids for the weekend because the kids would stay there for two months. Yeah. And it was yeah. just two months of rock climbing and rafting and mountain biking and arts and Bet crafts. You and, oh, it. it was like this.
1: this is So nice. how long were you there for?
2: Uh, I uh, did a season which was like two and a bit months and then just went back three years in a row because I'm like, it's winter here. Why would I want to stick around? I'm out of here. Go and do that. Fantastic. (laughs) It's the best fun. And that really set it up. That's kind of like, oh yeah, I I can do this, have have adventures. I went to New York after the camps, and I was um, responsible for running a student hostel. It was like international students would come to New York to study there, and this was kind of like their halfway house, their bridge to finding other accommodations. So I was a big backpackers for all essential purposes, but they were, you know, considerate students and stuff like that. And me and a, a Scottish guy, Neil, uh, ran the place. He always used to have one earphone in listening to his, his music all the time. Anyway, there's these two German backpackers. It was a couple of weeks before they were leaving, and... Um, they had a car for sale, a Lincoln Continental. And um, they would up there for 500 bucks. And I was like, oh, it would be nice, but I'm not going to spend 500 bucks. The week before they leave, they've got up there for 250 bucks. We're like, oh, it's not bad. A couple of days before they leave, they've dropped it down to 100 bucks. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the day they're flying out, they say, take us to the airport and we'll give you the car. <laughs> so we waited. We got the car. And I'll, I'll cut a long story short, but... Um, being chased by a chinese uh, vegetable grocer being bailed up by the mafia in the bronx um, being shot at uh, getting lost in the bronx uh eight parking tickets uh, (laughs) two suicidal lane changes into uh, like four lanes of traffic coming straight at us to the degree we had to veer off onto the footpath Later, we sold that thing for 250 bucks to the next tourist that came along. Fantastic. So, uh, you know, we got to cruise around all of New York and this beat-up, like, the, the steering was loose, that tyres were born, and this thing would float around, you know, Fifth Avenue and stuff. It was... Yeah, that was the, the the funniest first thing that came to mind.
1: Just imagine having that car now and doing it up. It'd be worth a fortune. Oh, I, I mean, Lincoln, this thing was Cont- a ship. Lincoln yeah. Continental, it was... You know, it had that you have thing to, at the front. You have to turn the wheel for four hours yeah, to, to get, get, round get around the corner. Around
2: the corner and stuff.
1: <laughs> then there's always a chance that you won't make it around the corner. <laughs> you <Yeah, laughs> <yeah. laughs> yeah. float to the left. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. the steering was out. So,
1: so all of these adventures have brought you to... You, you've met fascinating people. Yeah. You've worked with the United Nations. How did you stumble into all of that? Like, where did the, the sort of coaching, facilitating serious side of you or is it never serious
2: it's never far away Mm. Uh, and i think that's what's disarming about how i work you have to have a a fair bit of um a disarming nature because people that come to learn things and and get stuck into the, the 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 work they're there to do to get real with each other and stuff like that I've got to have a fine mix of kind of softening the blow um, with a bit of, you know, laconic Australian humour, as well as being serious yeah. where it's required. Um, I came across it because the first time I remember was being in a programme and there was um, uh, a, a speaker that came in. I was just a participant, I was someone. The speaker came in and stood up and, and I'll never forget he, the, the, this, his presence, just the way he said, That's what he did. He just said hello. <laughs> it struck me of like, oh, who, who is this? What's what's he doing? What is he about to do? Like he just he commanded in that statement. You listen, and for the next couple of hours, he just held us there in the palm of his hand in, in a way that he, he would connect the dots between what people were saying. He would raise up their thinking to a higher order of understanding, and like. What did he just do? That was magic. I need to know. And so I went up and said, "I'll buy you lunch. You know, let's kind of. I need to know how you, what you did." And we went at lunch, and and you know, he explained what he's learned to do that. And, and that, you know, was kind of where I realised you you can chase all sorts of personal, uh, all sorts of professional uh, qualifications, but if you don't have a. a, 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 a a, a personal journey that goes along with that you you don't get as far uh, this is a new thought that I'm having but you just kind of, yeah. I realised that um, who he was and how he had how he'd become who he was through overcoming the challenges that he had gave him the moral authority to hold the space because when you're working with groups of people in pretty trying circumstances like I've been in, you need to Kind to be able to contain what gets thrown up, mm. you know, because because people are going to push back, they're going to be resistant, they don't like the ideas that are being floated around, they're making other decisions in their own narrative, but they putting that on the table, So, so that's how I came to the work, because I was fascinated by how people work together, how they tell stories, how they understand things, how they... How, how they get a result. How so,
1: they... your, so your process is your process. It's not something that you you went to a college and learnt.
2: Yeah, look, I went and learned all the things I had to, through, you know, did a, a degree in adult education and training um, as opposed to school teaching children but adult education mm-hmm. and then went on and did postgraduate studies in organisational change and consulting because I really wanted to understand the nature of, all. Well, how do people work together? How do they gel, how do they connect, how do they understand, how do they make sense of, a sometimes crazy messed up world around them.
0: And you understood that better after you did the courses, or did you gain a, a, a better <coughs> understanding through
2: experience? Oh, yeah, the experience. And the courses helped me to make sense of the experience. Right, right. Because sometimes, you know... W- we get hit by life circumstances. We might you know, lose our favourite boss. We might go through a reorganisation, a restructure, all of these sorts of things. And the making sense of it, part of it, is the most important part because we may take it personally. Mm. and And then we lose the opportunity to really learn and grow from it if we think it's something about ourselves that the environment is imposing upon us.
1: So are we we talking essentially about change?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. People can't... Yeah, how they navigate change and transition. And I'm running a change leadership event in a couple of weeks, and we're getting leaders from all sorts of businesses in to talk about, you know, there's the science of change, ticking the boxes and Mm -hmm. reorganising this and restructuring (coughs) that. But what's the art of change? And that's understanding the transition that, that people go through. You know, what are they losing? What's ending? What do they have to let go of? Mm. And then what's in that neutral zone where you haven't realised the benefits of the change, but something's shifting? You know, and how do we, how do we, how do we take care of ourselves emotionally when it seems that things are shifting from underneath us?
0: But Pete, that that sounds like um, it sounds like what you're doing today in relation in relation to change um, is the result of many years of uh, many years of journeys into different areas but tell me back then when you were mesmerised by this person that commanded an audience yeah. what is it that you thought you would be or you, be, you thought you would become at the
2: time it, it wasn't actually and you've kind of got me there because it wasn't so much about what I would become or what I would be, it was more about what I'd do mm. and if there's a lot of pausing right now it's because mm. <laughs> it's just occurred to me that I've had to be a certain way to do that mm. <laughs> and um, I think I'm shifting uncomfortably in my chair because I haven't really considered what it is that I've become to do what I do because mm. it's, mm. you know, some of the shit some of the stuff I do is right out there, hmm. you know, and 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 and, and I just kind of take it in my stride. I don't; it doesn't raise a sweat.
1: Yeah, I find it interesting that the way you're you're talking it strikes me as if you just you're just living life, and part of that is doing what you do.
2: Yeah, I don't distinguish.
1: It's all a part of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like. Life is there to be lived and live it as fully as you can.
0: Mm. I'm assuming where you are today is not where you thought you would be 20 years ago.
2: No, it is. It is. I was pretty clear 20 years ago that I wanted to live the way I live. For me, it's lifestyle design. Okay. And it's because of seeing my father haul ass through night shifts and weekends when he wanted to be with the kids and... And through my own earlier printing escapades, mm. um, doing pretty much the same thing, and I was really clear, like, uh, no, yeah, my picture out there is that I'm travelling the world, doing the work I love, making an impact. Really clear about that. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how it would come about, but
0: I guess that's I guess that's what I was um, getting at, Th- that. That you knew you. I mean, I'm guessing you felt you needed to create change in the world, yeah, and make an impact. Like there, there had to be something you could do to change the destiny of others. Yeah, help help change the destiny of others. Yeah, yeah?
2: but I knew it had to be me first.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I
2: thought, who, who am I to, you know, take people through a behavioural, emotional, psychological, spiritual, conceptual, whatever change if I haven't at least navigated some of the challenges within that myself.
0: And could you explain some of those challenges that you navigated?
2: Yeah. Um, look, as a, as a red-blooded Australian male brought up with football, working class, beer and broads, uh, the nuance and the sensitivity of how to understand uh, what emotions are for and how to learn from what they present, um, posed a great challenge. And I was an angry little, You
0: can I,
2: I was an angry little fucker. <laughs> hmm. And, uh, and I had to kind of take a look at that because it scared me and, um, you know, so, so this, this guy that I mentioned before that had the presence, commanding presence, he was running this workshop that was about, you know, who are you as a man? You know, what, what's your place in the world? What mm. are you here to do? Mm. Kind of thing. And then, and that was, you know, that was a shot between the eyes because it was like, oh, wow, yeah. You know, I, I get drunk. I, you know, it's not that I treat women poorly to the point of abuse, but not having them on equal footing. It's just this, this old kind of ways of thinking, you know, the working class ethic. Um, while that stood being good stead, it wasn't entrepreneurial. It didn't have a, a sense of freedom to it. And and that was because I didn't have that. You know, I was kind of locked in the past, as it were. And so, and, you know, I'm sure, yada, yada, there was something way back when, but my body didn't kind of give up too much inside easily. I hope this makes sense, but it no. was like... Mm. I, I, it, it took a long time for me to make sense of my makeup, yeah, and, I, and I think that's our journey in life is to make better sense of how we are and get to know who we are, so that we can express that in a context that people can connect with.
1: So essentially, you're still the same guy, right? But you, yeah. and you've still got that larrikin, <laughs> which. Is obvious to up to me, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> but but you really really what you did was you learn how to unlock those things that have been pushed down. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And now you now you're out there in the world. So do you do you have a home? Yeah, or, or do you travel all the time?
2: Oh look, I've travelled a lot the last ten years. You know, I'm overseas ten times a year. Sometimes I go on nine-week road trips to five, six, seven countries. Um, But in the last couple of years, I've kind of started to help build humanity in business. It's sort of like I'm taking all of what I've learned with the UN and and working in organizations and bringing leaders together in events where they tell their story about how they bring humanity in business. So that's kept me grounded here in Coogee. I live by the beach and... That's part of that picture I had when I was a kid was like, Oh, I'd love to live by the beach and walk down the ocean every day and jump in, so I have a home base and it's it's a really solid thing.
0: Do you ever I mean, you you you've worked with the UN Yeah. Right. As a mediator. Yeah. yeah. So a negotiator media a yep. mediator. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever have a wry chuckle about how this bloke from country victoria got to be a a mediator at at the un (laughs) (laughs) like did you ever do a double take and say well
3: (laughs) look here i am here i am
2: how there was a funny day and i I think i posted this for my friends uh i'm going through the list of participants and and, you know their titles and their roles and you've got all these you know director level senior level managers and uh you know, from Botswana and, and Thailand and Geneva and all these names. And then down the bottom, it's got Peter Smith, Maribor, Victoria,
3: It <laughs> <He laughs> says it
2: all, really? <laughs> you great. So, you know, look, there's a little bit of the imposter syndrome going on, but um, I think that gives permission for people to kind of go, look, it doesn't matter where you've come from, it's where you're going.
1: That's right, so,
0: and who you are today.
2: Yeah. So how yeah. does the how
1: did how does the, how did the work start coming? Like, I, I, you know, like who? How do you, I mean, you? It's don't, a long way you from summer You don't. Summer camp, on, you, it? don't you, <laughs> you don't Google. Uh, you don't Google. Um, you know, UN mediator needed uh, for da da da, and your right. name pops up. Yeah, so how yeah.
2: do people just come to you, or is it a recommendation? No, I got really lucky. In in fact, it was. This kind of thing you mentioned before about uh, you know the adverse circumstances kind of give rise to something that's a real value. and for my 40th birthday talk, talk about being a geek, I flew myself over to a training program to learn more of the skills of the trade, if you like the craft. Um, and you know spent a pretty penny for this big international speaker and I was there for a week. and it was actually pretty crap. <laughs> it yeah. probably wasn't the best use of my money. Having said that, I met someone there who knew someone who had a contact in the UN. And I was like, oh, my God, I've always wanted to do that. And this was, yeah, late nine years ago. And they um, said, "I'll you know, flick me your resume and I'll pass it on. And nothing could have kind of eventuated for a year, eight, 18 months. And then I got a call. And then, you know, they grilled me for a good hour and a half kind of thing um, about my experience and stuff like that. And they said, OK, we'll we'll uh, get on a plane and come over and we'll familiarise you. Um, with with the, the one of the programs that we do at that time and um, so I actually spent more time in the plane than I did in the meeting in Washington DC and um, and yeah that 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 was the, that was the, the door opening you know from there it was like the whole world
1: so, so how much how much do you think luck plays a part in your journey or do you think it's fate we have this argument all the
0: time yeah,
2: no okay. I, I reckon what, what's what have I heard I I reckon if you put yourself in it, amongst it, out there, just keep pushing forward, then luck will come along. But if you don't, if you stay comfortable, I I don't think it has as much chance.
0: What was your um, biggest moment then or your biggest achievement dealing with the the UN or, um, or overall, any
2: Or, or overall, yeah. just yeah. overall. And I'm more of a facilitator. You know, it comes from yeah. the Latin term to make easy. So I make it easy for the folks that I'm working with to work together, to work with their people, to solve the problems they're there to, to solve. Um, there's a couple awesome moments. The one that was just wickedly awesome was... Um, and then both in Afghanistan, as it turns out. First one was that uh, we normally have a co-facilitator for one of the programs that I run, and um, I literally got my visa the day before I flew. My co-facilitator didn't even get his visa. So I'm going in for this six-week program with 30 folks from all around the region coming into to Kabul, to the to the compound there. And uh, this is a two-person program. This is a loaded program. You, you need that. Mm. And... Uh, he emails and says, oh, "I haven't got the visa," and I'm, I'm like, you know, ready to go to the airport. I got mine. I'm like, "Oh wow!"
0: <laughs> but you didn't say wow. Well.
2: <laughs> no, I did, man. I did because I'm like, well, this is it. Like, what, I'm, what, I'm, what do you think I'm going to do? What, what, I have, I kind of have no other option here. I'm going to nail this thing. Yeah, you know, absolutely nail it. And so. Owning that sense of like, <laughs> bring it on, because yeah. I knew the program,
3: yeah.
2: you know, um, and, but I didn't know the participants. I didn't know what they were going to bring, uh, and and you know, at the end of the week, yeah, the, the feedback was off the charts. It was actually the highest feedback they'd got for that kind of program with two facilitators for for one. So I was like,
3: booyah! Yeah,
2: it was a really cool picture. and I wrote a great story. I've posted on my blog about the experience of being there, and then. Um, the, the second one, I don't know if you've got the time. Yeah, I know we do. The we second do. one was um, I uh, we'd started doing these uh, team building programs around different areas around the world where there was a real need. And um, this one situation was in eastern Afghanistan in cost. And uh, the um, one, I won't say which agency, one agency had cut the food budget by 75%. So the um, the refugee camp wasn't getting the food in, and the tribal chiefs had said, well, you know what? Sorry, you can't come in to the UN, guys. And so there was some necessary kind of work we had to do there. And um, my usual kind of approach is that I'll go in and I'll um, spend a day or two doing some needs analysis, asking around, understanding the situation. I've flown in from Australia in my crusty Ganesha shirt, it's a bit of my brand, and my, my you know, jeans and my hiking boots, three-day growth from being on the plane and all this sort of thing, to Kabul, Got a chopper straight away, you know. Stopped in a couple of towns in in Afghanistan. I'm looking out the window going, Whoa, whoa. I'm looking at, you know, goat herders and vast valleys and dusty roads and, you know, kind of looking for anyone with a rocket launcher on their shoulder (laughs) each time it, you know, takes off and lands. And we landed, you know. I want to say in the cover of darkness just because that sounds cool, but it wasn't. It was a beautiful, (laughs) bright sunshine. Um, We landed in the middle of the day and then just the the people, just open hearts, you know, just so beautiful. And, you know, I got selfies with all the guys at the guard desk and, you know, we had a convoy, an armed convoy, take us to the the compound and, you know, big iron gates and, you know, they roll and take two guys to roll the gates aside and we come in. And I walk in, you know, got my backpack, got my crusty shirt and everything like that. And they're all sitting around, ready to start this three-day team-building program. Like, did, you <laughs> I had no design. I had no, you know, sense of what to do. Like, you know, I, I knew the, the details of why well, I'm being flown in mm-hmm. to do this, but in terms of who does what, you know, what's been going on, and like that, nothing. <laughs> so, and I, so straight into it, and I like talk about M- MSU, my good mate Bruce Kill calls it, makes shit up. <laughs> So in my trade, it's just about getting getting the right questions, so, you know. But what kind of challenges were you
0: faced with? I mean, you were there to do something, but what were you there to do?
2: Yeah, look, I was there to work out a way that they could get supplies into the camp because the tribal chiefs, like I said, have said, no, nah, UN guys, you're not coming in, you cut our budget. But we had to get food in. There's 65,000 people, and importantly, women and children on the border. And... Um, So these guys had to really sit down and, you know, nut that out and think about that. And the the challenge in in a lot of these situations is that um, the national staff uh, know they've got it good and their engagement, their sort of, you know, sense of ownership and involvement in that may not be as great as you want. That's not all across the board, but some of them, you know, it's a free lunch and a free ride. And in regions like that, some of the unfortunate truth is they're a bit of... uh, Cover, hmm. bulletproof cover, because you know they know that locals are, are working in there. And um, on this one day, I, I, you know, by kind of day and a half, two days, I still hadn't kind of you know resolved things. And um, at, at this stage, it was threat of an ambush, so we were actually literally in lockdown. Uh, well, not in lockdown at this point. we we'd gone out, and uh, it, we were checking supplies I had in a warehouse, and it was just like to get out of the compound. I mean, from the compound, I could see you know kids playing cricket. You know, men sitting around in circles, smoking shisha and talking and stuff like life went on. Mm. It was fantastic, and then getting out in the, the the convoy and going to the the warehouse area, just you know, people in the streets and markets and and everything like that. It was just awesome to 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 see a part of the world I wouldn't have seen. And um, went to the warehouse. We got all these this olive oil that had gone, the vegetable oil that had gone off, and we had to work out you know what supplies we did have. And one of the, the local national staff's uh, cousin was across the road a bit. So he went across, he had some apples. And, you know, you know when you're a kid and you used to put the shit, he put the apples in his, in his shirt like that and brought them over and we all had an apple. It's like great, terrific. And I was like, where do those apples come from? And he was like, my cousin, he grows the apples. And I don't know why I hadn't thought of this sooner, but that sparked us to start to think about, well, who else knows folks at the markets who grow stuff? Who have food, who are locals, who you know wear their headdresses in the Pashtun, and you know can get in, and so that got us thinking and strategically planning how we could get more of those supplies into the camp that way. So, so that then, was a light bulb moment. A light bulb moment, mm. and you know facilitation is a bit about getting out of the way and trusting the process that what needs to come out will come out. But it was a light bulb moment for me, and that started me on the journey of thinking. Are we really exploring all of the stakeholders effectively enough to know the part that we all play in how we solve society's problems? And I don't think business does that enough. There's some great work done in corporate social responsibility programs, but if business knows that there's a return on investment in that, if they know that they can have market share and solve a problem they'll be going home. They'll go for it because it, it, you know, make it core to their strategy about why they're in business, why they're in the world rather than just shareholder return.
1: So essentially, you're like the saying, you can lead a horse to water.
2: Yeah, you can't make it drink. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you've, you've been to Russia, you've been to Afghanistan. Have you ever been in a position where you've been shit scared? Like, this isn't, this isn't good. I'm not in a good position here.
2: No. Nah. No. And and this goes back to, you know, my, my um, earlier life and what I was saying about the emotional intelligence piece, that there's whatever experiences that I'd kind of taken on um, as a big, dumb Australian male, kind of, you know, nothing could shake me. And that's what I mean about kind of having the... the the, the breadth if you like to to take on shit that comes yeah and that you know it's a bit like the you know the, the dude that jumps out of the plane or rides a motorbike at 200 miles an hour maybe this is my version of it
1: mm. yeah. so our show is called what floats your boat what floats
2: Pete's boat uh it's it's it's, it's the, the light bulbs that go on for other people. Yeah. Yeah, when when they're kind of like, ah. Oh. You know, they tilt their head back and they look up at the sky and they kind of like, oh You know, and they can see their part in the challenges they face.
1: So their light bulb moments lights your light yeah,
2: bulb. Yeah, 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 because I've helped facilitate that. Remember, facile to make easy, let's say make easier. <laughs> it's not necessarily easy to get to those moments.
3: Yeah,
0: I, my, my question to you is that if you had one thing to say to a bunch of kids, what would that be? Just,
2: look, it's so cliche, but follow the dreams you have about what life's about. You know, if it means... You know, Steve Irwin's a great example. You can just tell that he's completely, he was completely... Doing the thing that he's born to do, because I think we're all born to do something. And we just have to kind of find it,
3: mm.
2: and I found it for the most part. But you know what? I think my best work's still in front of me, honestly.
1: Yeah. What you're doing, what you're talking about, we, I saw, We saw a talk with a big wave surfer a couple of weeks ago, and everybody in the audience, of course is thinking, you're a raving nutbag, mate. Like, seriously? You're going to get on that 40-foot wave? You're going to get smashed? Probably could get killed? But what you're talking about is similar. We should all be living that way in the sense of... He he didn't see it as being dangerous, did he? No, he didn't. He he saw it as a way of expanding who he
0: was as an individual and, you know, just stepping over levels of fear... And going beyond that, and uh, and that's why he get that's what was driving
1: him. And that's what you're facilitating, right? In a sense.
2: Yeah, truly. And and I think so much, and I see it kind of uh, in a big way in organisations. They they want to do more. They want to help more. They want to grow how they solve communities' problems, and I can see the fear of like, oh, what about shareholder return? What about the short-term gains we need to make? And and solving community problems like the UN's, SDGs, the Sustainable Deal Goals goals 2030, that's not a short-term play, that's a long game, yeah? And it's not going to bring short-term shareholder returns. So the fear that the competition will come and take a piece of the market or whatever is what is getting in the way of a more... Uh, global shift in this kind of consciousness beyond fear, beyond where all of the stakeholders and everyone's involved and how we can bring everyone together to collaborate.
0: That is a lesson for business as well. It really is. Mm. I think uh, too many of them are still running on old-fashioned principles.
2: Yeah, make as much money as you can, shareholder return. Mm. And and the, the rise of the social entrepreneur these days is a really good example of where they want to make an impact and they want to make money mm. you know we don't want to confuse the, the, that notion of you know money is the root of all evil the love of money is the root of all evil But how, how, how can you do that business is about making money but how can it it's not yes and I mean it's not yes but it's yes and mm. how can it make an impact
1: so where's Pete Smith going to be in 10 years time
2: oh that's a good question You know, I actually. um, I think the way I'm going, and what I'm becoming, you know, if if you asked that question earlier about did you think you'd become this way, so it's it's the same sort of vision that I have as I had 20 years ago. It's being involved in uh, more think tanks, that that get together, Um, and I do that in a small way through the humanity and business events that I run, Um, but it's. Think tanks that really bring together diverse points of view. You know, in America, let's get Democrats and Republicans together. You know, some great work was done in South Africa at the end of apartheid. There's too many examples to think of. And, and I, I want to be involved in that. Uh, I want to be involved in... I've done a lot of leadership development, not only in my own personal leadership, but I've helped a lot of leaders through one-to-one coaching, but then also in, in executive groups... And, you know, for large part, it's not that effective. Yeah, it mm. doesn't have that much impact. And that kind of shoots my own work in the mm. foot. Yeah, yeah. But that's the reality of it, because they go back into a system that doesn't support their behaviour change, their own leadership development. And so so it's wasted to a degree. And that I've sort of changed my mindset around that. And now when I've got a group of leaders that I'm working with, it's me and them individually. So wherever they go in life, not just for the organization. I hope I'm not talking out of shop here and Good. my clients hear this, but I'm, I'm there for that individual. And while they're in that company, that'll have an impact. But it only goes so far if the leadership team don't embody and embrace the kind of behavior and the culture that they want to create. You know, Our favorite sport at work is boss watching. And if we're not seeing the behaviour change and the the morals and the ethics and the values and the behaviours that they're proposing in their values and their mission statement, then we're not going to change. And so I see my work as taking these leaders and engaging them more in a community's development, whether that's a charity, the UN, a not-for-profit, a social entrepreneur. And in that skilled volunteering, translating the innovation and the decision-making and the problem-solving that they did there back into the business. So I'm already doing pieces of that. I, I just see that on a much bigger scale because it's it's a billion-dollar industry, leadership development, and if it worked, we would have a different world. It, it needs to be um, self-sustaining in a way that they um, can see the benefit For the charity, not-for-profit social enterprise that they're working on, they can see the benefit themselves and then in the organisation. And that's a a float your boat moment Mm. for all involved. And I've seen that work. It's just like, let's get it out there. Let's break down this old notion of getting 20 people in a room and taking them through 50 slides and saying, here's our change management process and thinking that that's going to stick. Keeps me in business, unfortunately,
1: Mm.
2: but for the most part, it doesn't stick.
1: So uh, how do people get involved in what you're
2: doing? Like, if, if, do you have a website, yeah. blog, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Facebook? I, I've started, I've taken a lot of videos of my adventures around the world, and I kind of just, I cheese it off. It's so hemmed up. And so at corporatetrainer.com, yeah. um, folks can follow my adventures there. Great. And, um, you know, I post videos on a shy actually when it comes to self-promotion you wouldn't think but I, I am um, I guess I just don't want to get caught up in you know the, the, the wrong idea about um, what I'm promoting so I share a lot there and, and really there it's about how I mentor and help other facilitators and trainers and coaches um, to, to see things and do things differently and then my involvement at humanityinbusiness.com.au um, as the CEO uh, in, in support of the founder Manish who's just an amazing guy who's brought together so many business leaders that let's call them conscious business leaders and, and the way they share their story. So I'm having a great time interviewing these leaders and editing it down and putting a little bump of mm. videos and just sharing as much of that story. We're, we're preaching to the converted, but you know let, let's keep spreading the message because there'll be a tipping point where the old way of working no longer works.
1: All right. Last, last uh, cab off the rank, which I didn't see on your bio, we, we like to finish our episodes with a favourite song. So have you got a favourite song? I'm sure you've got millions of them, but pick a song that you love, that you want to put out there to all of our uh, great Float Your Boat listeners. And, uh, Here comes a
2: time... When we hear a certain call When the world <laughs> must come together as one <laughs> We, we are, are the world <laughs> That's what came to me we're here. Okay. But you know, my song actually is um, M People, Search for the Hero Inside Yourself Oh yeah, I know the song Yeah, just okay. uh, when I listen to that uh, Pete yep. Smith Yep,
1: It's been terrific It's been a pleasure, Pete Thank keep you. up the good work and, um, and maybe off air we'll be talking to you about one of our um, new projects
2: awesome.
1: um, and hopefully uh, it all goes well. Do. Thanks, Thanks very much, Pete.
2: Thanks, Thank you. guys.